1: One of our real challenges is the concentration of power in the AI industry and because of that, who is setting the agenda for the regulatory and legislative environment. And so one of the things that I am, am watching really closely is essentially who is at the table How are we deciding what our national priorities are? I'm
2: Quinta Juracek, a senior editor at Lawfare, and this is the Lawfare podcast, October 5th, 2023. Today, we're bringing you an episode of Arbiters of Truth, our series on the information ecosystem. And we're discussing the hot topic of the moment, artificial intelligence. There are a lot of less-than-informed takes out there about AI and whether it's going to kill us all, so I'm glad to be able to share an interview that hopefully cuts through some of that noise. Janet Haven is the executive director of the Nonprofit Data and Society and a member of the National Artificial Intelligence Advisory Committee, which provides guidance to the White House on AI issues. I sat down alongside Matt Peralt, director of the Center on Technology and Policy at UNC Chapel Hill, to talk through our questions about AI governance with Janet. We discussed how she evaluates the dangers and promises of artificial intelligence, how to weigh the different concerns posed by possible future as existential risk to society posed by AI versus the immediate potential downsides of AI in our everyday lives, and what kind of regulation she'd like to see in this space. It's the Lawfare Podcast, October 5th, Talking AI with Data & Society's Janet Haven.
3: So you're the executive director of Data & Society. Could you give us a little sense of what your organization does and the role that you hope it can play in the tech ecosystem?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So Data and Society is an independent nonprofit research and policy institute. We study the societal implications of data-centric technologies, automation, and AI, and we translate that knowledge into unfolding policy and media debates. Um, Fundamentally, what we believe is that how societies choose to design and govern technology will be a determinant of our collective future, and, and that it's really, really critical that the right voices are at the table to do that work, and that and that, that, that governance process is happening in a way that's based on empirical knowledge. Um, and that's why it's really critical for us to, to be contributing a, a body of empirical research to those governance debates.
2: So you've been doing a lot of writing and speaking about artificial intelligence, which it
1: seems like is the only thing that anyone
2: wants to talk about in the tech space right now, kind of crowding out uh, other issues. From your perspective, what are the areas of concern in terms of thinking about how to grapple with, regulate this emerging technology, and how confident are you that public policy
1: can address those concerns? Yeah. So so at the highest level, I'm concerned about two things. From the public policy perspective, um, I'm, I'm extremely concerned about the lack of public oversight and of regulation over how technology, which is, of course, a huge part of the economy and a huge part of just about every person's lived experience, the, the lack of oversight and regulation in terms of how that's governed in our society. And I do think that public policy can address that. I think it's been hard to do that. We haven't seen movement on that to the extent we would have wanted to over the past decade and a half thinking inclusively about technology regulation and and not just AI. But I think that we can address that. And I think that there is a real groundswell of attention to that from a broader societal perspective. I'm concerned about the lack of agency that I think many people experience about technology in their lives, and and I'm concerned about the correlating lack of shared spaces that we have to work through a set of questions that may or may not be regulatory policy questions. But more about the values that we want to prioritize when it comes to technology and society. So I'm worried that we don't have the space to step back and say, what should we automate? What are the real trade-offs for people and communities when we automate aspects of education or of elder care work or of early child care work or of accessing public benefits or finding job opportunities or shaping our information environments. So I think we have a real gap in how the public conversation is unfolding. And I think it's been um, significantly enclosed and foreclosed because of, of who's defining the shape of that conversation, who's really at the table and is is driving the conversation, which at that this point is really um, primarily the tech companies and more generally, I think people in a in technical roles, computer scientists and and so forth.
2: Yeah. So I want to push you on that to to dive into the specifics. And you kind of got to it near the end, but when you say, you know, you're concerned there's a a lack of public Space for conversations that need to be had, a sort of focus on a particular kind of perspectives. Can you be more specific about whose perspectives you think are are coming through, um, and whose we need to hear more
1: of? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that what we're seeing in the in the in the public policy discussion that's happening, you know, primarily at the federal level um, right now on the Hill, um, is that. AI company executives and and technologists, computer scientists, are primarily setting the public policy agenda. Policymakers on the Hill are, are literally asking the people who would be regulated whether and if and how to regulate them. And so unsurprisingly, I think what we're seeing take center stage are the issues that are most beneficial to those companies and our are areas where they can stand regulation without having their business models impacted. I think we're also seeing a, a push to focus on you know what's known as X risk, existential risk um, to humanity concerns about AI, rather than a focus on the more immediate harms that people are experiencing right now from, from AI systems. So
3: you said in the outset when you were telling us a little bit about data and society that your organization is a bridge between research and policy and that you're really trying to integrate empirical work into the work that policymakers do. I'm curious if you can apply that lens a little bit to how you see AI. What what are you seeing in the literature that points to certain directions of how we should think about governance?
1: So I can I can talk through a few of the kind of primary, I think, points of concern that are well supported in in the empirical literature. So a first a first big area of concern and attention, I think, is algorithmic discrimination. Um, so what we have seen is that AI systems can produce inaccurate, biased, and discriminatory outcomes often because the data that's fed into those systems reflects the historical and social inequities that exist in the real world. So those are captured and translated into the data sets that power the AI that we're using. And so the even bigger challenge there is that the scope and the scale of AI means that those embedded biases and those algorithmic failures are going to have very, very far-reaching effects. So that's, that's one of the big concerns. A second concern is the lack of uh, explainability of AI systems. And I think that I, I want to sort of differentiate between the idea of transparency and explainability. So transparency is essentially seeing you know, what, what goes into the data sets, for instance, and I think that is, that is really important. Explainability is about the fact that most AI systems are black boxes that produce results that aren't easily explained or challenged, even in court, despite the fact that they can affect people's lives in very dramatic ways. And that's a real problem. Because one of the pushbacks that we see from from technical actors in this space is that, you know, explainability is just not possible with many AI systems. I think that that's something that that we need to challenge, right? That is a question about how systems are built. That is a question about choices that have been made perhaps quite early on in, in technical development and design. But it's still a choice. And I think that the idea that it isn't is something that, that we need to um, contest. I mean, a, th- a third area that I think is really critical, again, well-supported in the literature, is is the the impact of a, a lack of, of meaningful participation in the design of AI systems. Um, so even with the best of intentions, scientists who build AI systems often lack perspective or, or context to Understand the real world impacts of their design choices. And the companies that are that are building these systems, that are supporting the building of these systems, lack currently the real, the hard law, the legal incentives to spend their money because it costs money to uh, ensure real participation. But they they lack those legal incentives to ensure meaningful participation of impacted communities in the design and deployment of these systems. Just as a a small plug, Data and Society actually yesterday just released a paper called Democratizing AI um, that is specifically on principles for public participation um, this was written by Professor Michelle Gilman who is a, an affiliate with data and society and and lays out a set of clear principles and practices that can facilitate public participation in the design and if, of both AI systems and of AI governance and and you know one of her one of her core conclusions is, this is something that needs to be legislated because it is it is expensive, it is challenging to do and and it takes real resources to do it well.
3: So for something like democratizing AI is is AI the problem or is it the solution? Meaning that like does it give us more routes to more avenues of democratic participation or do you see it more on balance as a problem that stands in the way of that?
1: So my feeling on that is that we can get to AI as a benefit to societal participation and to any number of other public interest outcomes if we design for an innovation environment that pushes us in that direction and that pushes us towards safer, more trustworthy and more equitable AI. And so I think that sort of rolls back up to the questions of designing a robust governance and accountability system for algorithmic systems more generally that, that tracks through the entire life cycle of an AI system. And that is thinking about it not only at the design stage, but also at the deployment stage and at the end of life stage, right? Like how do we how do how does a system retire and what are the impacts when a system comes out of its use?
2: And so, so walk me through, I feel like, you know, these discussions often are so abstract, it's helpful to me to kind of really get into the details. In your perfect world, assuming that, you know, we have AI systems that are used for, you know, private enterprise, for public policy, what is kind of the the ideal life cycle of this kind of innovative and regulatory environment from, you know, I'm an AI developer, I sit down at my laptop to, you know, put together a model to how it's used to, as you say, retiring, like what, what would you want to see in terms of governance structures?
1: So I think that all of those, how the, all of those puzzle pieces get put together is still a bit TBD, and and there are a couple of reasons for that. I think one reason is I think that that algorithmic systems and AI present some novel governance challenges, and um, the the sort of methodologies of accountability are still being developed. We don't necessarily know all of the all of the key pieces that are going to create that overall accountability system and that overall sense of societal trust. But I think there are some pretty critical pieces that we can point to right now. So a, a starting point, I think, an undergearing for all of this is is sort of close attention to data, both in terms of data privacy. So at this point we lack in the United States um, comprehensive federal data privacy protections. I know you both know this very, very well. A year ago, the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, uh, which was a bipartisan law that had a lot of backing from both industry and uh, civil society, did not pass. And so that is that is a lack. I hope we um, take another shot at that because I think if we don't have... If we don't have a baseline of agreement around data privacy, any kind of broader system of accountability for for AI is really, really hard to get to.
2: And why is that, right? Like for someone who who hasn't been following this closely, what is the connection between the importance of privacy legislation and having sort of safe, adequately governed AI?
1: Yeah, so... That's a, that's a great question um, and, and is really, really important to, to draw out. The reason for that is because AI systems are built on massive data sets. And those data sets are um, particularly of the, the kinds of AI that is, that is most um, fully in the public eye right now, like ChatGPT, Those data sets are built by scraping um, public information from all kinds of online sources like the internet as a whole. And there's a lot of information that people share on the internet, on social media, in all kinds of places, on Twitter, et cetera, that they don't expect to be pulled into a broader system. They don't expect to be a source um, for algorithmic decision making. And I think one of the things that that we we lack is actually a full understanding of how in in an algorithmic environment, in an AI driven environment, how are, Privacy. our current approach to privacy, um, which is very individualized in the United States, is very much about individual protections, translates very poorly into a networked environment. In other words, if I uh, am, you know, tagging my friends on Facebook, and I have my own personal privacy settings set to, you know, a high level of control, I have still given Facebook a set of information about the people that I have tagged without their consent. Um, and that, that is, that's what's known as, as, as networked, a networked privacy violation and is something that you know, I think we, even with the ADPPA, we still have a gap. And how we think about developing those protections—it's it is something I would think of as an under-theorized area um, of concern in in AI policy making and in legal theory.
2: And so, okay, so so let's say so that's that's the kind of the we have privacy. That's the sort of development part. Then, once we go to you know this program is being used to do whatever example you want, right? Um, I know there's examples about, for example, uh, helping determine. The conditions of release for people who are being booked on on charges, which is a sort of an extreme example, but I think a demonstrative one about how important this can be to people's lives. What kind of regulatory structure do we want at that point?
1: Right. So, so there, so there are a couple of pieces, some of which I, I mentioned earlier that I think are are really critical. So, maybe as a very first um, stopping point on on this big accountability cycle. We want to know that these systems actually work, right? That they do what they say they're going to do. And I think one of the big dirty secrets in the AI world is that a lot of um, quote-unquote AI systems do not actually do what they say they're going to do. They they either cannot, the kind of data that they have access to will not return the, the promised results, or they are they are making claims about what the data can tell us. For instance, you know, making claims that a type of uh, data set can return information about a person's emotional state. Um, this is called effective computing. And, and so, so that, so that sort of layer of um, does the system actually do what it says it's going to do? Um, I think is something that we we have no controls over right now, and and that we will absolutely need controls over. That's kind of a, just a first stop, and one of the tools that's that's proposed to address that is uh, is auditing. And so what what auditing does when you audit an AI system, what it does is that it it essentially tests that system against a predetermined set of criteria that is and that criteria could be what the developer says the system is going to do. It could also be testing it against a, a law or a norm. So that's a really important step and and so uh, you know my, my hope is that we will see auditing come in as a very important part of the governance toolkit. A second layer of that, a second part of the governance toolkit that we really need to have are called algorithmic impact assessments. And this is something my organization, um, Data and Society, works on quite a bit. We recently launched something called the Algorithmic Impact Methods Lab. And so what an, what an algorithmic impact assessment does is that it essentially tests a system an AI system and what happens with it when it actually meets real people. Um, So it tests the the impacts, it assesses the impacts of that system in a real world environment with real people. And particularly, it can be with impacted communities who who are very unlikely to have been part of the design process of that system at the very beginning.
3: Jenna, we'd love to hear a little bit more about the Algorithmic Impact Methods Lab. Can you give us a sense of how you set that up and how it will work in practice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've been working on the issue of algorithmic impact assessments for several years at Data and Society because for for two reasons. So one is this, this issue that impact assessments ask what the consequences of a system are when it meets the real world. And, and that aligns very closely with uh, how data and society approaches the, these research questions around t- technology and society. That is, we're very interested in how people and technology exist together, what the, what the impacts are in both directions. Um, and so that, f- for us, was a very critical Uh, Way of thinking about technology and society. Um, It turns out that algorithmic impact assessments have also become a a, a part of a number of prospective or proposed laws, um, including the Algorithmic Accountability Act of 2022 that, that Senator Wyden proposed. They're also part of the EU AI Act and so it looks like they there's there's some cohesion around the idea that assessing that sort of technology meets the real world piece is is going to be really important in understanding in understanding the 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 accountability of of an ai system the challenge there is that we don't have an agreed on methodology for impact assessments and and The worst case scenario when you don't have a methodology is that should this become law or a norm, that that tends to get left to the companies to decide how to do those assessments. And the challenge there is then we don't have a counterbalance from the public interest perspective. So what the Algorithmic Impact Methods Lab was launched to do is to develop in consultation with a range of partners a gold standard methodology for algorithmic impact assessments done in the public interest. Um, so what we're 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 not actually planning to do impact assessments ourselves at any great scale. What we're interested in doing is designing a methodology that is robust, that centers the public interest and public participation, and that others can pick up and use as this accountability tool becomes more and more prevalent.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
3: Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right?
0: and enter code LAWFARE20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20, code LAWFARE20.
2: So I want to back up a little to something you mentioned earlier that, you know, what you're really trying to focus on is sort of the immediate risks of AI to people's, you know, actual lives in the near future, and that that's what these sort of systems are meant to provide. And that is sort of Uh, contrasts with some of the concerns that other folks, including obviously the person who springs to mind is uh, Sam Altman at OpenAI, what they've been talking about, which is, it seems to be something along the lines of like total societal collapse because no one needs human workers to the machines will take over and we'll have a sort of 2001, I'm sorry, Dave, you know, Skynet situation. It's not totally clear to me what they're envisioning in terms of, you know, the destruction of the world from AI. But that has kind of come into focus as, you know, the big thing that everyone is, is terribly worried about. There was an Atlantic article recently, for example, about how, you know, all the AI researchers are reading uh, this book on the making of the atomic bomb and sort of comparing themselves to, to Oppenheimer, which there's there's some other stuff going on there that we don't need to talk about here. For sure. But, for sure. <laughs> but in all seriousness, what do you make of this? So first off, are you concerned about AI destroying the world? And and second of, how should we balance those concerns with the maybe less sexy, but also important concerns
1: that you've been voicing so far? My take on this debate is that it it's not really necessary to frame it into an either or. Two things can be true at once. It can be true that there are a set of concerns about existential risk to humanity um, from AI, I I will say as a sidebar, I find it somewhat odd that the people who are raising those concerns most vocally are also the people um, who have the immediate opportunity to you know limit their development. And we don't see that happening. So I, I guess that makes me wonder, you know, to some extent how how severe those concerns really are. But, I also don't necessarily think that I'm in the best position to assess that. I think i and and others in in this field that data and society works in are in a good position to assess that immediate harms are severe and, you know, have have empirically been shown to exist and that they need attention. And I would also argue that, the steps that we want to take to address immediate concerns and immediate harms, that is the kind of accountability frameworks that we're talking about in this, um, in this conversation, are going to put us on the right road to preventing the kind of um, existential risk that, you know, that I think some others are talking about. So, you know, I mean, my, my problem with something like the, you know, the AI pause letter was that, you know, it, it didn't articulate much in terms of what should happen in that six months and, and who should be driving whatever those actions are. I don't think that it makes sense for us to assume that you know, the tech is going to fix the tech, or the tech industry is going to fix the tech. I think that what we need to address either set of concerns, both set of concerns, is a robust regulatory and legislative set of actions. and And so, I, I don't, I don't actually think that these two sets of concerns are so far apart. I just think that they're they're being articulated in in different ways, and and that you know, declaring. A, a, a an end to humanity is, is something that does tend to capture the public conversation.
3: You've articulated a few specific areas that you'd want to see for that regulatory solution. But of course, the question is not just what would the substance be? It's also what's the political likelihood that we would see that substance come to fruition? And we haven't seen it in the last decade plus of tech regulation. There's been a lot of conversation about the regulation we need. And that's really, there's been a large gap between that conversation and the regulation we have. Are you more, I guess it depends on your framing, optimistic, pessimistic? What's your view of the likelihood that we will see some regulation to match the roadmap, the substantive roadmap that you've laid
1: out? I'm going to say I'm optimistic. <laughs> this may come back to me later. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 will, I will enclose that with saying I am optimistic about certain spaces for regulatory action and less sure about others. So I think we really have to give the Biden administration credit for the amount of work that they have done to advance you know, AI regulation on, on the executive side. Um, they've not only released the AI Bill of Rights in October of 2022, which addressed issues like algorithmic discrimination and safe and uh, equitable systems, but they also, through um, through NIST, um, have released the AI Risk Management Framework, which is which is a major achievement as well. And we've also seen things like executive order 14091, which took that concept of algorithmic discrimination from the AI Bill of Rights and made it into a directive from from the president himself for all of the agencies to address and to protect Americans against. And so I think we're seeing real steps being taken on that side. We're also right now waiting for an executive order, a promised executive order that um, is meant to address a number of, of further issues about AI, which is forthcoming sometime in the coming few weeks. We've seen a number of companies adhere to a set of voluntary commitments that the White House put out that uh, that are meant to, you know, advance safety and 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 security in AI systems with some of the the best known companies in this space. So. So I think that there's a fair amount happening there. I also think that we're seeing action on the state level. Governor Newsom, for instance, in California, recently put out an executive order on AI um, that cited the AI Bill of Rights, for instance, as a as a core um, document to draw on. And we're seeing that happen in other states as well. So I think that is is positive. I think the big open question is what's going to happen. In Congress, right? Like, what will what will happen in terms of a legislative agenda for AI? And there's plenty of competition for this. There are plenty of congressional members who are advancing frameworks. Um, Senator Schumer's is is probably the most visible, um, in and he has pledged to have a number of insight forums this um, fall to essentially educate. Congressional members and, to some extent, the public on the range of of AI issues that that demand legislative attention. So, so I think that there is a fair amount happening. I think where I, I have the least certainty about how it's going to play out is on the legislative side, because of course historically we have seen so little happen in technology regulation, um, despite many, many hearings, many, many proposals over the course of the last 10 years.
3: Yeah. So that's the point I kind of want to push on a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Like if if the roadmap that we wanted to see was convened of hearings in different forums and voluntary commitments from a small number of companies, press releases, op-eds about possible frameworks, messaging bills, outlining what might happen that's a policy roadmap that we have seen in the past. That is the that is the the last decade of tech regulation. It's it's not, I think, probably accurate or fair to say that nothing has happened. It's just as you're pointing to now, there hasn't been much that's happened on the legislative front. So I think the question for AI about whether it's different is a little bit less about those some of those other things, you know, including probably like executive orders that impose constraints on federal government employee conduct or agency conduct, but not necessarily on what companies might do. The question is like, is there going to be legislative activity that is really going to change the regulatory framework that companies are able to operate in? Will it will it provide real guidance and narrowing of product and business decisions for companies? On that question specifically, are you seeing something here that suggests there's we're headed toward different outcomes than the place that we've been in for the last decade?
1: Maybe I would say just on one of your points there before I answer that specific question that I think that the the behavioral of, of federal agencies can actually have a huge impact on companies through um, procurement and And so that to me is a really big open question is. How will the federal government, as a as a purchaser of software from the outside world, use procurement practices and 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 uh, regulations to shape company behavior? So I think there, that that is a way that the agency side extends potentially very far into the private sector. But take your point that you know to really impact the private sector as a whole. We need, you know, binding legislation. I am not <laughs> completely. <laughs> I am not completely without optimism on this, but I, but I think that we face all of the same challenges that we faced with social media um, regulation, which really didn't move very far over the past ten years, as you pointed out. I see the most hope in in sort of two uh, two different directions on around ai legislation potential ai legislation so so one is that i think broadly there's a framing around ai safety right which is encompassing a whole set of ideas right from like existential risk to like you know more of a kind of like fda type thing like does the thing actually work or you know is it is it going to return the results that it says it's going to return and And I think that I'm, you know, I'm, as as you've heard, more interested in that first question and how, you know, how a tool like audits can be used to at least create a baseline that, you know, these systems work. And I think that there are significant economic and commercial reasons and incentives for that to move forward. So, so I would say, I think that's a reasonable bet. I very much hope that we return to comprehensive data privacy protections. I think we got so close last year with the ADPPA and and I think that there's still at least some appetite to to bring that back. And I guess the 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 last thing I would say is I and I I don't I don't know is the real answer, but I think that there is a potential pathway forward that focuses on these kind of accountability questions. So the Algorithmic Accountability Act of, of 2022 that came out of Senator Wyden's office was really about how do we, how do we build a, a framework of sort of testing and process around um, systems of a certain size? and. In some ways, I think that that process focus um, and methodological focus can sidestep some of the more political issues that may sort of divert attention from, from a legislative agenda. I mean, I guess the last thing I, you know, I'd be remiss not to say is that obviously in this space, a huge driver and a huge set of concerns that I think is fairly bipartisan is around national security and competitiveness and specifically competitiveness with China. And so I think that that may, could shape a legislative agenda in a way that isn't as um, directly focused on um, immediate societal harms and equity concerns that, that I am most interested in. But I think in terms of your question, Matt, of, of like, will anything happen like that is potentially the biggest lever to create action.
2: Yeah. I want to ask more, more about that. So, Again, kind of getting down to brass tacks. What are the ways that these sort of competition with China concerns are shaping how legislators and policymakers are thinking about AI regulation? And um, I know, I think you you said in in an interview with Politico that it's maybe moving things in a direction other than than what you might want to see. Um, and you mentioned just now, you know, it's focusing on on issues other than sort of these these safety concerns. What form does that take? just sort of in the mechanics of how people are discussing what to do? And is there a way to move away from that? Or are we kind of headed in a bad direction because these competition security concerns have taken precedence?
1: So I I think that it's a really complicated um, set of questions to untangle because I, I think again, two things can be true at once, right? Like I, I, don't, I don't think that this is an either or situation, but I, I think that the, the kind of Venn diagram space in the middle is essentially, uh, you know, contestation over what innovation looks like, what we mean by innovation and what kinds of um, sort of core values we want to use to define an innovation space for um, technology. And, you know, I think on, on one end of that spectrum, the idea that, you know, we are in a, you know, comp- a, a direct competition with China and that AI is um, one of the, you know, fundamental levers that we have um, and that are that's being contested sort of creates the space for the argument that any kind of, you know, regulatory environment is putting us at a disadvantage. You know, I think that ignores the idea that we're seeing governance frameworks emerge in other parts of the world. The EU AI Act, China itself has defined a set of of regulations that, you know, if they were to be enacted in the way that they're written you know, are create a much more constrained environment than than we have in the United States certainly right now. But I think there's a great deal of uncertainty there in terms of uh, you know in terms of how those might be implemented and what they mean in reality for competition with the United States. You know, so there's there's that bucket of concerns. There's certainly the bucket of concerns around um, access to chip manufacturing. You know which runs directly into which right now is you know primarily situated in taiwan there's a lot of concern obviously about the relationship with china and uh and taiwan and the continuing access to chip manufacturing for united states companies these are all real concerns um i think that the on the on the sort of other end of the spectrum we don't want to see an avoidance of of creating the kinds of protections that we really need for instance against algorithmic discrimination in ai systems because of a belief that that could constrain an innovation environment um and so I mean, the way that I think about it is that what regulation does, that we shouldn't be thinking about it as either or, like either we get innovation or we get, you know, protection against, you know, violations of civil rights, but that we should be thinking about it as we want to create an innovation environment in the United States that pushes us towards the kinds of technologies that are beneficial to society. And ultimately, I think technologies that are beneficial to society, that create protections that people trust and can live alongside and um, integrate into their work, at, into our justice systems, into you know, educational systems, et cetera, in ways that are, that are not harmful, strengthen the position of the United States. So in the
2: months and the year ahead, what things are you going to be keeping your eye out for when it comes to the development of AI and also conversations around AI policy and regulation?
1: I would argue that one of our real challenges is the concentration of power in the AI industry. And because of that, who is setting the agenda for the regulatory and legislative environment. And so one of the things that I am am watching really closely is essentially who is at the table? Um, How are are we deciding, not sort of what our sort of granular pieces are of, of a governance framework, but how are we deciding what our national priorities are? what the core values are that are going to inform how the United States approaches governance of AI systems. And I I would argue that this is something that we have a real gap in right now, that we really don't have a shared idea of what we most value when we think about designing An approach to governing AI. So, the Office of Science and Technology Policy earlier this year put out a call for public comment on um, priorities for a national AI strategy, and I expect that there are forthcoming executive order and, and probably other forthcoming communication from the White House will, you know, give some insight into what they learned from that and, and how they ended up processing that. You know, I think the, the best case scenario would be, would be something that really puts forward a, a kind of vision for, um, for what we as a, as a country want um, from AI and want to see. So thinking about it very much from an outcomes perspective rather than, you know, coming at it from a kind of defensive crouch. All right, let's leave it
2: there. Janet, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Arbiters of Truth, a Lawfare podcast series on the information ecosystem. The Lawfare podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. You can get ad-free versions of this and other Lawfare podcasts by becoming a Lawfare materials supporter through our website, lawfaremedia.org support. You'll also get access to special events and other content available only to our supporters. The podcast is edited by Jen Pacha Howell, and your audio engineer this episode was Noah Mosband of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. As always, thanks for listening.